tonight Ben and I are splitting the message more or less down the middle. I'll do the first half, he'll do the second half. Uh, and so just a little bit of background on me. Uh, I currently go to Fresno State. I'm a senior, finally. Woo! Yeah! The moment I'm done, I get to go back for like another two years. I don't know why I did that to myself. So I'm majoring in history because I want to be a teacher, so I have to get credentialed. Two more years of school. I'm upset about that. It's not great. Um, so I'm really excited to come teach here tonight. This is my second time teaching in college service, and I'm thrilled to be here. So for the series so far, we've been talking about identity, our identity in multiple things, our identity in Christ, our identity as Christians. So tonight specifically, we're going to talk about our identity and taking the family name. And that's kind of a weird, weird thing, taking the family name. So family name for us is like our last name. So I'm Ryan Stacy. My family name would be Stacy. And typically, we get our last name, our family name, one of two ways. I was born with mine, right? I was born Ryan Stacy. I inherited it from my parents. My dad was born Scott Stacy. He inherited his name from his family. It's how it works for us. Uh, my mom married into it. She wasn't born Carrie Stacy. When she married my dad, she took his last name. And that's, for the most part, that's how we get our family name, is one of those two ways. Uh, but there's like a different third way, and that's through adoption. When you're adopted into a family, typically you take the new family's last name. Um, and so when a family, they choose you, they choose that specific person, and they welcome you into your family, they will take the family's last name. And as Christians, it's kind of the same way. We get our family name as Christians through God adopting us as his children. And so a while back, I remember hearing a story about a kid who was at school, and the kid got bullied because he was adopted. Because kids make fun of everything, and like adoption's an easy one to pick up on. So he was, he was bullied because he was adopted, and he finally just had enough of it. And so he told the bullies, he's like, hey, your parents are stuck with you, right? They had you, and you're you, that's great. My parents went out, found me, and chose me. My parents wanted me. Your parents got you. Which is like a bummer, because like my parents got me. But like we're still happy about it. It's still good. Um, and so it's, I like this, this adoption metaphor. Because God adopts us into his family. We're his children, right? He chooses us. He cares for us. He wants us. And that's super cool. I'm not adopted. My parents are happy I'm here. They're glad I exist. But they didn't choose me. They didn't choose who I was. And so it's also cool because someone who is adopted and the parents, there's no connection between the two. It's not like they were already friends. They already knew each other. There's nothing there. And it's, so it's like the same process as a friend, right? You find a person, you're like, hey, you seem cool. Let's be friends. Let's just do that. You don't necessarily know anything about them, especially as a kid. You can play with someone for like half an hour. Who is that? I don't know. You're kids. You don't know. And so it's pretty cool. God looks at us. He chooses us. He does know everything about us. But he wants us to be his. He wants us to be a part of his family. But taking the family name is a two-way street. Because God chooses us, but there's something we have to do in return. Because spiritual adoption is a different way to form a family. 
God has to do something. He has to choose us. And so we have to accept it. And in adoption, right, the child has to agree they want to be a part of that family. The parents can't say, we want that kid. The kid goes, no, I don't want to be a part of that family. And they're like, too bad. They sign the paperwork. That's not how it works. They both need to do something. They both need it to happen. And so God always wants us. He always wants us. But we need to want him back. And so for our first point, I join God's family by his choice and my conviction. I join God's family by his choice and my conviction. And so it sort of talks about this in Ephesians chapter 1. And it says, Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So God created every one of us, and he loves us all. That's, we know that. He chose all of us as his children, and it gave him great pleasure. He enjoyed it. He liked it. He, it gives him pleasure. And I think this verse is really cool. It illustrates that God, he really chooses us, and he loved us, even before he made the world. Not before he made me. Not before he, like, made my parents. Before he made the world. Like, that far, that long ago, he already knew me, loved me, and was ready for this. He knew in advance he wanted us, and that he was going to adopt us. And the way that he brought us to him is through Christ Jesus. And so that's God's choice, right? He made us and he chooses us. And so take a look at what this next verse has to say about our role in spiritual adoption. It's from John chapter 1. It says, He came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They're reborn, not with physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. Because God wants everybody to be a part of his family, but not everybody is. It says all who believed and accepted, we have to want to be a part of God's family. It's not just something that is. We have to want it. We have to do it. Part of it is on us. But that's really all we have to do. All we have to do to take God's name, well, so, to take God's name, what do we, what do we have to do? What is that? So, we do it with the kids, and I chose it because it's the easiest way for me to understand it. It's, we do it, it's called the ABCs. It's admit that everyone sins, believe that Jesus was sent to save us, and call Jesus to come into our lives and be our Savior. That's the way. That's how we do it. That's how we can become a part of God's family. So, okay, what does it mean? What does being in God's family actually mean? Because, I mean, God, we call him God the Father, but he's not like earthly fathers. He's omnipotent, which means he's all-powerful. He's all-loving. He always has our best interest at heart. And he's omniscient. He knows everything. He's all-powerful. He's all-loving. 
He knows everything. And so because of this, as Christians, it's kind of a different dynamic. We're a different kind of family. And so Ben and I want to share four, four things that are pretty different about being in God's family. And so the first one is that God's correction is discipline, not judgment. It's discipline, not judgment, because there's a big difference between the two. Because he's different, God is different from our earthly fathers, but we're still ordinary humans. We screw up. All of us do. I think I've messed up probably eight times today. It's just what happens. It's who we are. So one of the, one of the pretty decent mess-ups I had was my freshman year of college. For those of you who don't know, I live in Aubury, which is like an hour away. It's not a great drive every day, but it's interesting. So I lived up there. First semester, I went to Clovis Community College. So I was a full-time student. Uh, at that point, I was on the Fresno City track team. Uh, I had my own car. Great semester. I had no job. I couldn't pay to put gas in my car. So by the end of the first semester, I had used all my money, and come second semester, I could not afford to put gas in my car. So cool, how do I get to school? Well, I get to school by taking a ride with my parents. That's fine, uh, except they come into town at like 7 o'clock, and then they'll leave at like 6 p.m. Okay, it's college. I have class at like 8, and I get out at maybe 1, and then I'm stuck there for five hours at college. There was nothing to do. I got bored. It was awful. I had to do it most of the semester. But by the end, I had a job. I made sure I had one so that I could put gas in my car. And so the point of that is that my parents disciplined me, right? They made me go get a job. They didn't support me, which sucked. It just did. It was awful. I didn't like it. It was a horrible semester. But it taught me something. It was helpful. And when they did it, they didn't judge me. It needed to be fixed, but my parents didn't write me off. They didn't think I was lazy or a bad person. That's not, that's not what the discipline was. They just wanted better for me. And so when we mess up, God may discipline us. He can send us a bunch of signs that we need to correct what we're doing. He wants the best for us, right? He's all loving. He always has our best interest at heart. And so when we're messing up, and he's, he's disciplining us, he's trying to help us, he's not, he's not just writing us off, right? We made mistakes. That's fine. Go away. He doesn't watch what we're doing and just throw up his hands in disgust, and he's just annoyed with us. He disciplines us because he loves us. And he doesn't judge us when he's doing it. He never casts judgment. And so it says in Galatians chapter 3, So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ, I have put on Christ. So, the verse says that before knowing Christ, before Jesus came, the law was our guardian. That's fine. Um, 
So before we were a part of God's family, our sin, right, because Jesus took away our sin, so our sin was judged. It was addressed by a judge instead of a father. And the law doesn't love you. It just doesn't. No law ever loves you. That's not why laws are made. All a law can do is punish you for doing the wrong thing. A law doesn't even reward you for doing the right thing. But when we join God's family, it says that we are all sons and daughters of God. And God's children are disciplined. It happens. But they're not put on trial. And that's, that's the big difference. Discipline's not that bad of a thing. But it's, it's not judgment. And so sometimes when we sin, we'll go to church, but we hesitate. And we feel like we're on trial. We feel like everyone's judging us and thinking about what we've done or trying to think of what we did wrong. But if we're part of God's family, we should come without fear of punishment, right? We come up alongside each other. We're all, we're all brothers and sisters together. Nobody's judging anybody. And so here's the second thing that's different about God's family. As a child of God, I have a desire for my heavenly Father's help and approval. I have a desire for my heavenly Father's help and approval. So you guys know how for like birthdays, Christmas, other holidays or events, you'll get uh, cards, like a birthday card. Your mom will sign it or something like that. Cards. All right. So most of the cards, they're pretty cool. Sometimes there's a nice little message written on them. Um, I don't know how many people do it. I'll usually keep a card up for like two months, and then it usually goes in the trash can. I know, but... I mean, I'm 22. I don't need to keep 22 birthday cards. It's, they're not, they're fine. But I'll keep them for a little bit. Birthday cards, all the cards, they're nice. They're cool. I like them. Out of all of the cards I've gotten in my entire life, I think I remember one. I don't remember what the rest said. I remember one. And so it's from when I graduated high school, because it's kind of a big event, so I kept all of the cards. That's like a milestone when you graduate high school. Um, so one of the cards... It's pretty much the only card I ever remember. And it's the card I got from my dad. And so all of the cards are really nice. It's, it's graduation. Everyone writes a nice message. There's lots of good stuff. I think my mom literally tore out three pages of binder paper, filled it, folded it, and like stuffed it in a card. I don't remember what it said. No idea. No idea. I have the card, though. But my dad's is the one that sticks out. Because in my dad's card, it's a short little message. It's not that long. Uh, but my dad actually wrote out that he was proud of me. He wrote out that he was proud of me. And it's not that I didn't know he was proud of me, but we just don't say it that often. And so for me, that was a big deal. That stuck with me this long. And so in the same way that, that was the, that's the only card I remember, we all pretty much, we want to make our parents proud. And so in the same way that we want to make our parents proud, as children of God, we should begin to start striving to make our Heavenly Father proud as well, right? If we want our, our normal parents to be proud of us, we should want God to be proud of us. And in Galatians chapter 4, because you are His sons, God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, the Spirit who calls out Abba, Father. 
So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. And so this doesn't mean that we're going we're gonna to work hard and we're going to do a bunch of good things and then God's going to love us because we did so much good stuff. That's not how it works. God loves us, period. That's it. God loves us. That's all there is. He loves us. And so it's the opposite. We don't do good things so that he will love us. He loves us, and so we want to do good things. So, a baby, right? A baby isn't loved by its parents because of all of its massive charitable donations, right? A baby's not doing anything. It has no impact on the world. It doesn't do good. It doesn't do bad. It's just a baby. Its parents don't love it because of what it's doing. A baby is loved because it is. Because it's a baby. Because it exists. The parents created the baby, and so they love it. That's why it is. God created us, and so he loves us, regardless of what we do. God created us, and so he loves us. And it's that love we've received that really just makes us seek God's approval. So, my last verse is Romans chapter 8. All those led by God's Spirit are God's sons. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. And if children, also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, seeing that we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. There's a lot going on in that passage, but what I want to really highlight is when it talks about the spirit of slavery. It says we didn't receive a spirit of slavery so that we could fall back into fear. So a spirit of slavery is like when people feel like they're too messed up to go to God. It's people who think they need to fix themselves and then they can go to God. They have to fix themselves first, and then they can talk to God. And they're people like me, because I have to fight it. But that's what I think. That's the way I feel. I need to do better, and then, then I can go to God. And that's just not the way it works. And so over the past couple weeks, I ended up finding uh, a really cool song. It's called Doubter's Prayer by Corey Kilgannon. And don't worry, I'm not going to sing it for you. That would be awful. But I do just want to share one little lyric from it. It's based on the Lord's Prayer. He just changes the words. So he says, Father, yours be the glory, if you even have the strength to use such a crooked person like me to do more than damage your name. We all sin. We all mess up. God doesn't care. He doesn't care. He loves us. Period. End of story. He loves us because he made us, because we're his creation. And he can use each and every one of us for amazing things. And so it doesn't matter what we do, whether we take 98% of our paycheck and we go donate it to charity, or we go burn down an orphanage, right? Either or. It's ridiculous, I know. Please don't burn down an orphanage, okay? 
It's a weird, funny example. But it doesn't matter what you do. God loves you either way. The principle's still there. He loves you no matter what. With all your good deeds and all your bad deeds, he still loves you. He loves you just because. And for the next few points, Ben's going to take you guys through them. Thanks, Ryan. Oh, man. I lo- that's a, such a good truth. Uh, and when, when we become part of God's family, we just want to be with him. And that's uh, an amazing thing. I, I love Jesus uh, because uh, one of the reasons is because, man, he, he gives me the ability to, to call myself a child of God, to come to my heavenly father. And uh, it's so good uh, to know him. Now, uh, there's a couple more things. And, you know, I was thinking about this. Uh, the Bible talks a ton about the family of God. And, and we, we're highlighting four things that we think are pretty different about the family of God versus earthly families. Uh, but, uh, but there's two more that I have. But, man, as you read the Bible, uh, read it through this lens. I am a child of God. I've been adopted by God. When you, when you read about fam, uh, families in the Bible, uh, man, you should, uh, you should see yourself in those equations. Now, can I give you the third thing? Uh, the third thing that's unique and incredible about being part of God's family is this. Uh, God chooses the family I'm called to love. God chooses the family I'm called to love. We don't have this verse on the screen, but uh, I was reminded of this verse as we were kind of planning this, this, uh, this message that, um, that God, uh, he calls people from every tribe and every tongue and every nation. In other words, uh, people from uh, other, other countries, there's, there's people uh, with other uh, dialects, right? Uh, there's, there's people um, from, from every place you could think of that are, that are believers in Jesus and part of the family of God, which means the family of God is diverse and the scope is, is huge. And I was, I was thinking about uh, um, this reality, and, and I was uh, uh, at um, my buddy Kyle's house on Tuesday. We were watching the All-Star, base, All-Star game, baseball. Anybody watch it? Kind of a fun uh, All-Star game. No, not sports people. Anyway, here's, here's what happens in All-Star games. It's, it's, kind, of, uh, it's kind of cool. So uh, you have all these teams, and they, they normally are competing against each other. In fact, uh, they, they kind of hate each other a lot of the times. In fact, uh, all year, pitchers have been, like, hitting people intentionally with baseballs. Like, they hate each other that much, right? Like, you guys with me? Baseballs are weird. Anyway, but, uh, I'm watching this All-Star game, and, and uh, this dude, he, he, uh, he scores a run. He comes in the dugout, and, and he's a Yankee, right? He's wearing his New York hat. Any Yankees fans in the house? Good. Well done. All right, so uh, he's a Yankee, and he goes in the dugout, and, and uh, are you guys with me? I just you feel a little, uh, a little subdued here. All right, you just need a little love. Okay, so he, the Yankee comes in the dugout, and do you know who he goes for first? Do you know who he hugs? He hugs a Boston Red Sox. Do you, do you guys know that is that is like a, a Dodger scoring a run, which is rare, I know, and, and hugging hugging a San Francisco Giant, right? It's like you don't do that. They they hate each other. They they uh, they make memes about each other, right? They uh, they hit each other with baseballs. It, it, there's no love between these two people, and yet at the All Star game, it's like they're they're a band of brothers. And do you know why? It, it's because they've been chosen to represent the best players in the league. They've been chosen by their peers, they've been chosen by the fans, and they've been chosen by uh, the organizations to represent the best players in baseball. They're united by this one, uh, this one designation, we are all-stars. And when we take the, the family name, we, man, we are children of God in Christ. The same is true 
of us. And so I, w- I was uh, watching this game, and I was like, man, that is such a, such a picture of what happens when we begin to follow Jesus. He, he breaks down any walls we might have, which means uh, that, that uh, man, people from different races, people from different political parties, right, like there's lots of animosity right now, uh, people uh, from uh, different socioeconomic backgrounds, you know, people from the other side of the tracks, right, in the world, the other side of the tracks, right, they're, they're all one in Christ. In fact, uh, the Apostle Paul says there's neither uh, Jew nor, nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, uh, uh, there's neither male nor female, all are one in Christ. In other words, our differences don't define us, our relationship to our Heavenly Father does. Isn't that cool? Which means the church should be the most diverse place. Uh, the, the church should be uh, one where we're, we're unified in spite of our differences of opinion and, and uh, tradition. Uh, and, uh, and it's such good news that God chooses the family because the reality is, is if we were left as children to choose our family, we'd just pick the people that are like us, right? Like, you guys with me? You, you hear the, I, I read, a, uh, I saw an inspirational meme the other day. It was like a bunch of people playing volleyball at the beach, you know, <laughs> like uh, Top Gun. You know, the volleyball scene, it was like that uh, in picture form. And, and the phrase over it said, friends are the, uh, the family that I choose. You guys, that's like a nice sentiment. The only problem is, is if we're left to choose our family, we're going to choose the people that are like us, not, not the people that are unlike us. Uh, we're going to choose the people that don't make us feel awkward instead of the people that, that do. And then, man, people uh, who, uh, who are valued by God get left out of his family. And and so God says, you don't get to choose. I choose, which is such good news because, man, when you are at your lowest, God still says, I want you, right? Isn't that like the gospel that, that even when, when you were your most sinful, when you were your most unlovable, God chose you. And so not only does God choose, but, but we have a responsibility. We're called to love the people that he has included in his family uh, by his choice and their conviction. And there's this incredible verse where Jesus is, is trying to get his disciples to understand this before he goes to the cross and dies uh, on the cross. And he says this in John 13, he says, dear, what? Dear children, right? That family metaphor again, dear children, I will be with you only a little longer. In other words, I'm not going to be here to, to love your brothers and sisters in Christ. Like I'm leaving. It's going to be your job. He says, dear children, I will only be be with you a little longer. So now I am giving you a new, what does he say? Commandment. In other words, it's not negotiable, not negotiable. You don't get to choose who you love and who you don't, who you pay attention to and who you ignore. It's something that we're we're responsible to do uh, as a commandment from the Lord Jesus. And he says this, and this, I don't know why we balk at this, but, but this is what he says. He says, love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another, and he's talking to to Christians, he's talking to church, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Uh, That is is a a big challenge, but it's it's one that's so good, right? Like, uh, uh, all you need is love, right? Like, we sing about it all the time, and yet we don't do it. Like, we, we hear about it all the time at church, and yet uh, we, we love selectively. Uh, but you don't get to choose who you love when you are a child of God, when you are a part of his family. That's, that's one of the benefits of being a part of the family of God, because when, when you feel unlovable, the family of God still reaches out to you, encourages you, prays for you, challenges you, corrects you. Do, do you see how good, what good news 
this is, that this is the sort of God that, that we call Father. This is the, the, the expectation that, that God has of his children to, to say, hey, you're my brother, and even though you screwed up, I'm with you. Like, isn't that incredible? And, and, and he, he tells them, it, this is your responsibility. That's the proof that you're saved. That's the proof that you're walking with me. That's the proof that you're part of my family. Now, it begs the question, right? Uh, how do I begin to love that many people? Like maybe anybody think about that, right? Like you're like looking at the sermon, and you're like, there's like 35, 40 people in here, and, and I have a hard time tr- loving like like my own family. Like I, like loving three people would be kind of challenging for me. Anybody like that's me. Like when I go to a church on Sunday morning, there's like 600, 700 adults in the worship center singing to Jesus, and I'm like looking around. I'm like, how do I even start to love? Like this is a lot of people to love. Like God, you supposed, I'm supposed to love all you guys with me? It's like, and then and then th- think about it. Right, this God is like always adding to His family daily people are becoming uh, believers in Jesus and becoming a part of God's family all across the globe. It's incredible. It's one of the reasons that I'm so confident in my faith that, that man, if God can transform lives in, in, every, in every nation, then, then surely he can transform the lives of the people that, that we're reaching out to here in, in Fresno. And, and, and yet, do you guys know how many believers there are right now in, 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 on this planet? Like the, the low-end estimate is, is over 2 billion Christians. And you're like, I'm supposed to love two Bill. Like, I got That's kind of a big family. Like, God's been busy, right? You guys, you guys with me, right? It's that's a lot of that's a lot of brothers and sisters. I get to call two billion people my brothers and sisters in Christ. Busy adopting, busy adopting, right? But uh, but uh, you guys were you guys went there, so I, I had to clarify. But uh, okay, I just need to, I need okay. But uh, but you guys see what I mean? It's like, how do I even start to love that many? people. It's overwhelming. But, but here's how it works. Think about it this way. Uh, anybody been to a family reunion? Go to a family reunion. You see all your family from all over the country, maybe from other countries. They all gather in one spot. And then you see that grandma you haven't seen in a few years, and she's your favorite grandma. You're like, Gaga, it's so good to see you, right? And uh, <laughs> any Gaga's here? Any Gaga grandmas? You got one? Okay. You're like, Gaga, it's so good to see you, right? Like, you, and you, man, you, it's not hard to express your love for her, even though you haven't seen her in a while. Like, it's, it's not hard to want to hear from her, to want to hug her, to, to want to, like, show your affection to her because she's part of your family, even though she's lived far away and been distant, even though you don't spend every day of the week together, right? Like, you, you don't get coffee on every Tuesday morning because she's in Massachusetts, right? right? You, guys, you guys with me? That, uh, that love, love for the family of God uh, isn't, uh, isn't determined by frequency. It, it's, not, uh, it's not determined by intensity, it's really determined by our willingness. Like, are we willing to see our family and and love them? Uh, Because the reality is, is, man, the family of God is huge. It's big. And think about how, uh, how families work, right? Uh, Really, when, when you say I'm a part of a family, you're saying I'm a, I'm a family of families. And that's what a church is, right? Like a local church is, man, they're part of our family. Uh, we're the, the family, uh, uh, um, the family of God here at North Point. Uh, but man, we have, we have people from the family of God at People's Church, and we're all family here together. Are you with me? And, and so it, it's like, it's like invited a bunch of cousins and grandmas over. No grandma's here tonight. But, uh, but it's, it's, it doesn't change the fact that we're responsible to love them, the frequency with which we see them. It's really, uh, man, about our willingness 
uh, to spend time with them. And so you have your nu- nuclear family, right? These are the people that you do life with daily. You have meals with, the, the, the people that encourage you and challenge you, uh, that know your, your struggles. You have your extended family. These are the, the people that you gather with weekly in worship, right, on Sundays. And, and you may not be close to all of them, but you're close to some of them. And then you have your distant family. These are the people that you see infrequently uh, because uh, of distance. Uh, but, but when you see those people that you don't know as well as the people you do life with daily, uh, when you see them, do you think, that's my family. That's my brother, right? You fellas in the back now, right? Brother. <laughs> anyway, but like that's my family. Do you see them as family? Like how many of us think about other believers this way? When, when we see them across the aisle, we think, that's my family. I'm going to go say hey. Like most of us don't think that way, right? We think, I don't know that person. I'm going to stay in my chair right here, right? Because it feels a little awkward. Like I don't know them. But you see what, what we've done when we, we find ourselves in that moment, avoiding people in the church, is we've forgotten who we are, that we, we are adopted into God's family, that we've been given the right to be called children of God. And, and if we say that we love God and we don't love the person across the aisle, when we say that we love God and we, we, we close the circle and don't engage the people uh, of God, we we're, we're just lying to ourselves. This is what the scriptures tell us in, in 1 John 4. Check it out. It says this. We love because he first loved us. And then he clarifies. He says, whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister, and, and this is important, an important phrase, whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also what? Must also what? Love their brother and sister. God chooses the family that we're called to love. And, and how do you, how does, what does this look like? It means that when we see a brother and sister in Christ, uh, we, don't, uh, we don't look down and pretend like we didn't see them. Uh, when, when we see people and, and rub shoulders with people at church, we, we don't look away like we haven't seen them because they make us feel uncomfortable or we don't know how we, re, we should relate to them or we haven't spent a lot of time with them. We, we don't ignore them. We engage them because, not because uh, uh, they've earned it, not because they're really great people, but because God says they're my children. Are you guys with me? Yeah. And, and then when we do this, it changes the nature of our church. Mother Teresa, she, she addressed the tension of loving lots of people in this way. She said, never worry about the numbers. Help one person at a time and always start with the person nearest you. And, and what she says, what, she, what she's saying right there is the same thing that, that uh, men, the scriptures teach us about loving the family of God. He says, uh, men, when you see, uh, men, the fam- men, your brothers and sisters in Christ, men, you, you better love them. Man, you, you better take the time to hear them, to know them, to pray for them, to encourage them. Because if you don't, it's just evidence that you, you're not walking in the love that God has for you. It, it's, that's, man, that's where the proof is that you're right with God and that you're receiving from him. Is, man, you, you have a desire to, to know the people that, that claim Jesus and are walking with him. Man, and it's transforming. It, and oftentimes, here's the deal, oftentimes we dishonor God uh, by focusing so much on our friends that we neglect our family. I mean, that's what a clique is, right? It's when uh, uh, a close group closes itself to outsiders, closes itself to the extended family, closes itself to, uh, to people who are different than them, and it's sinful. 
But as believers, we're called to an inclusive faith, to be hospitable, to be welcoming, uh, to, to love one another wholly and deeply with a willing heart. Like, what would it look like if your heart was always willing uh, to, to love and engage people who claim the name of Jesus? And I can tell you, uh, you, you get more out of church. Man, I could tell you that you'd be a way bigger blessing. Man, if every moment you saw the person across the aisle, you're like, that's my brother. That's my sister. This is what God calls us to. This is what it means to be part of the family of God. Now, here's the fourth thing. Are you ready? I'm, I'm, I'm going to drop, drop it on you, and then we're going to pray, and we're going to be out of here. You guys ready? This is a good one. Uh, if you are a child of God, you can say this about yourself. My heavenly inheritance is greater than my human hurt. My heavenly inheritance is greater than my human hurt. Now, the reality is, is that being a Christian, that being part of the family of God is going to cost you something, that often it's painful, uh, that, uh, uh, that, that you'll walk through trials and tribulations uh, throughout your, your faith journey with, with your heavenly Father. Uh, and uh, there's, there's a lot of different reasons that, that we suffer as believers. Uh, for one, uh, you've got brothers and sisters in Christ who are just difficult to love, uh, who can be obnoxious, who can be immature, who can, who can hurt you with their words, uh, who can hurt you with their actions. And, and when, when uh, our brothers and sisters in Christ do that, I mean, it's painful to forgive them, uh, to continue to, to show them great. You guys with me? Uh, another reason that being a part of the family God, of God is painful uh, is, is because of the nature of what it means to be a Christian. Jesus said that being a Christian is this, uh, being willing to deny yourself, take up your cross, and what? Follow him. And I th- think about how painful it is to, to deny yourself. Like you, anybody ever uh, do a, a diet? Anytime someone does a diet, they're denying themselves and, and they go through pain. You can see it on their face. Like you eat with someone who's on a diet and you're just like, you're just eating a second piece of cheesecake and the whole time they're like, I want some cheesecake. You guys with me? You guys, you know, you know somebody who's like watching, watching what they eat and being healthy and like, uh, you're the, you're the, I'm the slob, right? I'm the slob just eating, eating right? And, and man, denying yourself is painful because uh, the moment you miss out on the gratification and, and uh, and at every meal, there's this measure of agony as, as they watch you eat, right? And, and saying no to sin can feel the same way. That's what denying ourselves really is all about, is saying, hey, I want what God wants more than what I want, and it's painful. Or, or being part of God's family also means that we're persecuted, uh, that when you walk by faith, you get labeled as a weirdo, right? Like you look different than uh, other people. You won't do things that normal people do. You might get mocked. You might get misunderstood. And, and in those moments, our conviction is often tested. Uh, but the scripture says that, that your heavenly inheritance is greater than your human hurt. And, and, and check this out. This is, man, it, this is uh, one of the places that we see this. In, in Romans 8, uh, 16 and 17, Ryan read this verse, but I'm going to read you the tail end again. It says this, the spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. And if children, also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, seeing that we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. You see, being a part of God's family means that, that you have this hope that, that even though this moment is painful, even though this moment is difficult, even though this moment doesn't have, give, give you everything that you really want from life, that as children of God, you have an inheritance waiting for you in heaven. You think about that, right? Like he says, you are, and this is a cool phrase, he says, you are co-heirs with Christ. You know, a uh, human will, uh, the parents decide what, what kid gets what, Right? And, uh, and my, uh, my family, my, my dad's written a will, but he hasn't shown us what's in it. 
Like, I don't have a clue what, like, my, fa- my family's going to get versus what my sister's going to get. Uh, and uh, I'm not the firstborn, so I don't know if that means I'm, like, I'm getting the, you know, the garbage or whatever. But, but here's the deal. In the first century, the, the reason I bring it up is in the first century, uh, parents decided who got what based on who was born first. Like, the firstborn got everything, and then everybody else got the leftovers. But, but in the kingdom of God, do you know, uh, the people who get, uh, get the, the blessing are never the firstborn. Like, throughout the Old Testament, it's never the firstborn son. It's, it's the one who deserves it the least that inherits the, the kingdom. And, and so, it, like, it, this, is, this is the case with, with King David. He's, like, the youngest brother, the least qualified, and he gets anointed king. Uh, and, and the same is true uh, of you and me. We aren't qualified. Uh, we aren't uh, g- given inheritance because we're qualified or because we have the, the, the best title. We're, we're simply given the inheritance because God chose us and he calls us co-heirs with Christ. In other words, uh, we get what Christ gets. He, Jesus is far more deserving of God's inheritance than you or I could ever be, is he not? He lived a perfect life died on a cross for our sins, and he says, the inheritance you get is the same as you share in what Jesus has received from his heavenly Father. It's amazing. Listen to, just let me read this one last verse, and we'll uh, wrap it up, but uh, listen to how Peter describes this inheritance. He says, praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And check this out. This is a cool phrase. It says, and into an inheritance that is imperishable, uncorrupted, unfading, kept in heaven for you. You are being protected by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. And and you rejoice in this, though now for a short time you've had to struggle in various trials so that the genuineness of your faith, more valuable than gold, which perishes through refined, though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What Peter is saying is simply this, that, uh, that God has more for you uh, in heaven than, than you have received right now. And, and our hope as, as uh, children of God, as people who have been adopted into God's family, is this, that, that though what we're going through now is difficult, and, and though we don't have all of the things that we hoped that we would have, uh, we, we know that there is something that is imperishable, that, that is uh, invaluable, uh, that is precious and good in the presence of our Heavenly Father in eternity. And, and, and yet so often we're short-sighted, right? We live for the moment. And, and, and we, uh, man, we live without hope when we live for the moment. Uh, let, me, let me share a story with you, uh, and, uh, and then I'll pray, and we'll, we'll wrap it up. Um, uh, a valuable di- uh, diamond and sapphire ring, I'm just going to read it to you. A valuable diamond and sapphire ring was dearly cherished by the T- Tappel family, uh, where it had been passed down from generation to generation. It seems, however, that the family's three-year-old son didn't quite appreciate its value as he dropped it in the toilet, plunk, right? And proceeded to flush it down. Uh, anybody flush anything like that down the toilet, right? <laughs> a search uh, for the ring conducted by a plumber turned up nothing. And so they called the sanitary department uh, as a last-ditch effort. Uh, that's when workers Johnny Powell and Victor Vasut, uh, fathers themselves, stepped up to help. Crews began to flush sewer lines in the, uh, in the family's neighborhood multiple times in search of the ring and were about to admit defeat when they finally found it on November 14th, two weeks later. 
Per uh, a media release, the family treasure had traveled more than a third of a mile from the house, tumbling around corners and nearly falling, falling into a large sewer line where recovery would have been all but impossible. Uh, one of the, um, the workers said this uh, in uh, the process. He said, it's rare to find something like this. It's like finding a needle in a haystack, in a haystack he told reporters. Uh, after what we assume was a very thorough cleaning, the ring is now back where it belongs. Isn't that crazy? Like a uh, $100,000 ring in the toilet travels through a pipe full of poop for a third of a mile. And, and here's the deal. Uh, just because we've flushed our inheritance in, in choosing the pleasure of a moment doesn't mean that it's any less valuable or any less available to us because Jesus can recover what we have lost. And, and, and the question is, you know, who, who flushes a valuable family heirloom, a valuable family inheritance down the toilet? Uh, it's only someone who lacks the maturity to understand what they possess, what they are doing, what they've been offered. And, and to learn the value of the preciousness of, of knowing Jesus, of being with him, of receiving an inheritance, of receiving the approval of our Father uh, in his presence in heaven, it is something that only comes as we get to know him and look at him and come to him with confidence. I, uh, I read this verse earlier, but it's, it's been my prayer tonight. I'd like to read it again. It's, it says this in Ephesians 1. It says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, uh, the riches of his glorious inheritance and his holy people. In other words, uh, God has uh, promised you something incredible, uh, man, when you, you live as his children. Uh, and, and it's something that we, we set our hope in, even in the trials that we're going through presently, that, that the hope we have of being with him and receiving from him it is enough to sustain us in the difficult moments. Uh, let, me pray, let me pray for you, and then uh, we'll sing one more time and, and call it a night. Uh, if, uh, man, if there's somebody here who, uh, who's going through a trial, who's, who's struggling to find value in, in life and what they're walking through, I'd just like to pray this verse over you. Uh, Father God, for those men who are struggling, uh, who are, are suffering, uh, who are experiencing heartache, uh, who are carrying guilt and shame, God, I pray that you would uh, remind them uh, of all that you've promised them in the person of Jesus, that they would put their faith and their hope in you, that they would, uh, they would uh, continue to walk with you knowing that there's something, man, through the heartache that's, that's worth it. Uh, God, I, I pray, God, that you would bless them with, with peace and confidence. And, and Father God, for the, the rest of us, I pray, God, that you would help us to remember what it means to be called a child of God, to be fully accepted, to be loved and cared for, to be uh, disciplined so that we might receive the most uh, from this life that we're living. God, help us to, uh, to be humble in, in responding to, to your, your correction. God, help us to be humble in your call to love one another. God, that we might experience your fullness, that we might live uh, in freedom. Uh, and God, I pray that you would begin to speak uh, to, to each individual heart about what that would look like uh, this week. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.